For those remaining in the auditorium or watching online this morning, take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, and this morning the plan is to look at verses 1 through 4, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you're new to us here at Grace, welcome, thank you so much for being here, especially that you had to use your skates in order to make it at least to your car this morning. We appreciate you being here with us. If you don't have a Bible, somewhere underneath the chairs uh, in your row, there should be a Bible for you. Uh, in that Bible, it's on page 941, 941, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one with you, our gift uh, to you this morning. This morning's passage is the application of last week's sermon. And this is how the writer of the book of Hebrews structures his book. As mentioned, it has elements of a letter, but it also has elements of a sermon. It's almost as if the author of this uh, sermon slash letter is offering to us his preaching notes. And as any good preacher, he first exhorts he instructs, and then he wants to apply. And you'll notice this theme and this uh, element throughout the book of Hebrews, where there's instruction given, there's an argument made, and then there's an application. Preaching is that which involves decision-making. Action is required. If you hear a sermon, if you hear something preached, there's something you must do with that. You can't just be the same after hearing any sermon. There's a decision that needs to be made, a promise that needs to be believed, a comfort that needs uh, to be accepted, a sin that needs to be confessed. There's something that needs to be done. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to apply what he has previously talked about in chapter 1 here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is also the first of five warning passages. And there is great debate. There are many interesting things about the book of Hebrews. Certainly chapter 7, we get into Melchizedek. Some of you have marked that on your calendar, ready to go to figure out who that guy was. But there's at least five warning passages throughout this letter slash sermon. And there is much debate. Is he talking to individuals that are believers? Is he talking to individuals that are not believers? Is this apostasy? Is this backsliding? What is going on here? And the first of these warning passages comes in our passage here this morning. So we are excited to get into God's word. So follow along if you would. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Allow me to read it and follow along if you would. Therefore, based on what has been said prior to this, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. This is the word of God. 
We want to speak this morning about distractions. Now, we are all familiar with distractions. There are things that we need to accomplish, goals that we have set that we want to meet, and yet distractions are ever-present and threaten to derail the whole process. The distractions can be very simple. You could be sitting here right now and maybe you are hungry or maybe there is something that catches your attention and you're sort of moved away from listening to me speak. There's all kinds of small distractions that come to play. There's also mental internal distractions. Even as you're sitting here, maybe you're wondering how you're going to pay that bill or how you're going to fix whatever needs to be fixed or uh, maybe you're wondering how you're going to make the return journey home after we're done here this morning or any number of things might be playing around in your head even as I am talking. And then there are big distractions. We know that the recipients of this letter slash sermon are Jewish Christians that find themselves caught in the middle of double persecution. So they are being persecuted by the Roman government. They have been expelled from the city of Rome in 849, only recently let back in, and Nero is now emperor and persecution is ratcheting up. And shortly after this is written, persecution will certainly get much more harsh for Christians, as we know under Nero's rule. There's also persecution from their fellow Jews because they're not following Judaism anymore. They're now following Jesus, claiming he actually is the promised Messiah. Their fellow Jews who do not believe are also persecuting them. And the thought is maybe we'll just go back to Judaism. Maybe it's just easier to follow the traditions, just melt in with the culture, don't make any waves, don't rock the boat. Let's just kind of... Maybe privately we'll believe some things, but publicly and otherwise we'll just sort of blend in. Maybe that's easier. And so there's big distractions as well. And as I've mentioned, this book is very relevant on a number of fronts, but certainly one front is the reality that in our current culture here in Canada, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to hold to truth. It could cost and has already cost some individuals their livelihoods, and it's only getting worse. And so decisions are going to have to be made. All of these distractions then, big and small, are swirling around. How do we deal with these distractions? How do we keep the main thing the main thing? How do we keep focused on what we need to keep focused on? So notice in the first place, if you would, this morning, that distraction is subtly destructive. I don't know if you've ever been here, but maybe you have something, you have a deadline, a deadline for work or school or something, and your thought is, I'm just going to play this video game or watch this movie or go on YouTube, just five minutes, just five minutes, and two hours later, you turn around and go, where'd all the time go? Distractions are subtly destructive. What is fascinating in this passage before us is that this first warning passage is not saying you have stepped from belief to unbelief in one step. What it's saying is be careful because to be distracted away from the truth of God and who he is and what he has said 
be distracted away from Jesus, who is superior to all things and worthy of all worship, is subtle, but it is always destructive. Notice, distraction makes us careless. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention. There is a tension that needs to be had on that which is true, on that which is foundational, on that which is real and upside right instead of the upside down world in which we inhabit. But when we don't pay close attention, we can have destructive results, but it's subtle. How often does that happen when we're driving? There are a million distractions when we're behind the wheel. Yeah, we fail to recognize, oftentimes, the seriousness of operating a motor vehicle. But we're mentally, internally distracted. You ever had the car just sort of go its own way? You miss your exit or you're going a different way this particular day than what you normally go and the car just sort of follows its way home and, oh, I'm supposed to turn back there. The phone buzzes. Something happens. All kinds of distractions. Away from what is important. And the same is true for us as believers. What is foundational is the gospel. What is foundational is the good news that although we are great sinners, there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. And it's not often that we have left off believing that, but it is all too frequent that we have left off holding that as of first importance. And so life moves ahead, life is routine, life goes on, but we have drifted away from what should anchor our soul. We have become careless. The gospel is no longer impacting and informing how we act at work as an employer or an employee. The gospel is no longer impacting and informing how we parent and grandparent. The gospel is no longer of first importance in our lives as it relates to our finances and to our time and our resources. We have become careless. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, pay much more careful attention. The word in the original language has a nautical theme to it. Make sure that your compass is true. Make sure that your anchor is secure. Make sure that the main things, the most important things, the foundational things are true and evident and consistent. Far much destruction happens through carelessness than any other reality. We just weren't paying attention. How many accidents could have been prevented if we had just been paying attention? Our attention is diverted even for a split second, and that's when something bad happens. We cannot afford to be careless. And I believe for far too long we have been careless. Because for many years, generations, the culture, generally speaking, saw Christianity as a net positive. And even when that moved into a, a, a feeling of indifference, 
it still wasn't impacting necessarily our daily lives. And so we can go about our daily lives as if the gospel is not of prime importance. But now, it's increasingly becoming the case that Christianity is seen as a net negative. Christianity is something not only to be avoided, but to be eradicated. And in that environment, if we become careless and continue to be careless, we will lose our way. There is no excuse for distraction in the second place because it says pay careful attention, pay much closer attention to what, to what we have heard. The writer of the book of Hebrews is going to expand on this in verses 2 through 4. But these are things that we know. It's not out of ignorance. It's out of inattention. We know the truth. For many of us, for most of us here this morning, we've known the truth since we could understand information, since we could talk and process things, we knew the truth. Many of us grew up in Christian households. We were taught and had modeled for us. Not perfectly, that's not necessarily the point, but we were instructed in the truth, immersed in the truth. We have heard these things and we have seen them to be true. So there really is no excuse but we have become careless. These things aren't of most importance. They don't impact how we think and how we behave and our attitude. They don't impact how we do business. They don't impact our finances as much as they should. They don't impact our time as much as they should. They don't impact our parenting and our relationship with our spouse as much as they should and our grandparenting as much as they should. We know that they are important. We know that they are true. We have long heard them and been instructed in them, and yet we have drifted. Which is the last point under point one. Distraction leads to drift. The author of the book of Hebrews says, lest we drift away from it. This is subtle. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But there's a drift that takes place. Again, as the other word has a nautical theme, so this word in the original language is nautical in its meaning, in the word picture that undergirds it. It has the idea of a slipshod uh, dock where a boat is there, but the ropes haven't been tied correctly. There was some carelessness when there was moored to the dock. And so now the ocean currents and certainly the tides in our area of the world have had their effect, and now this ship is adrift. It didn't happen immediately, but it happens so slowly and subtly over time, but now there is danger. It's away from the safe harbor. It's just going with the flow, wherever the wind and the waves take it. And this describes far too often believers in Jesus Christ. The author of Psalm 1 describes this for us. Those that know the truth, anchor their lives in the truth, and live according to the truth are like trees planted by, rooted by, rivers of living water. They are firm, and when the winds of change and culture blow, they don't move. They are rooted and grounded in the truth. But the author of that psalm, Psalm 1, goes on to say that the wicked are not like that. They are like the chaff driven with the wind and tossed about. When you're winnowing wheat, you toss the wheat in the air and the hard 
uh, seed that you want comes back to the ground, but the outer husk, the kernel that is wafer-thin and very light, just blows with the wind. Does that not describe our culture? Without being anchored to truth, without understanding what is true, knowing truth and living according to it, whichever way the wind blows, we see it in things that don't matter, like fashion and music and all kinds of things. We also see it in things that do. Our culture has lost the biblical anchor to things like gender. And so we're just adrift at sea. Whatever anybody comes up with, whatever thought is out there, seems to prevail. By and large, the majority just drift along with it. There's no anchor. There's no rope that's holding us fast to the dock and the safe harbor of the gospel. But the author of the book of Hebrews is not writing to non-Christians, he's writing to believers. Because he says in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's including himself in this message. And so the warning comes to us as believers to say, are we adrift? Are we simply going along with the distractions that are offered to us on a constant basis by our culture, rather than being rooted and grounded in truth and walking on that path? We're just drifting along. And the word picture here also is we are out to sea, and rather than going into our safe harbor, which is the gospel, which is truth, we drift past it. So that even as believers, there needs to be a constancy in the Word of God, in prayer, in our relationship with Him, doing things like we're doing right now. We need these reminders on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. We need to know what the truth is and we need to hold to the truth because there is the ever-present danger of drifting. Sin will always take us farther than we want to go and keep us longer than we want to stay, someone has said. That is as a result of drift. We don't wake up one day and say, you know what? Today, I want to destroy my life. I want to waste all my money. I want to cut myself off from all the relationships that I love. I want to just destroy my health, destroy my life. That sounds like a good thing to do. That's a Thursday. What are you going to do? But what does happen is we make choices, or rather don't make choices, that subtly, slowly, over time, drift us away from the anchor of our souls. By God's grace, God brings things like he has said in chapter 1, many times and in many different ways, God spoke by the prophets. And our prayer of confession, our, our passage of confession from Jeremiah, the prophets came and said, follow the ancient paths. And what did the people say? We will not follow the ancient paths. And then they came and they blew the trumpet and said, pay attention to the truth of God's word. And the people said, we will not pay attention. We're just going with what we think is right, with what we think is best. We are, after all, amazing. We're intelligent, way more intelligent than this dusty old book that was written thousands of years ago. We got it figured out. We're good. We don't need this. 
and we drift away from truth. And all of a sudden, one day we do wake up and look around and go, now how did I get here? We drifted. We were not constant and consistent in our digestion of Scripture, in our time in prayer, in our time with the people of God, being encouraged by the people of God and, and being held accountable by the people of God. So distraction is subtly destructive. It makes us careless and it causes us to drift. Notice in the second place this morning the distraction is ultimately destructive. It's not just subtly destructive, which it certainly is. It's one of the reasons why we need to say, pay much closer attention to our souls. But it is ultimately destructive. There is judgment for disbelief, and rightfully so. Notice in the first place, there's no excuse for distraction. Because in verse 2, it says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. The recipients of this letter slash sermon know that the Old Testament law was good and it was reliable. We just got done the book of Leviticus. And for many, that was a struggle. But hopefully we learned something out of it. But we here at Grace Baptist Church believe that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Not just the new, but also the old. Now, the new is superior in the sense that it points back to the ultimate revelation, which is Jesus Christ, but the old is pointing to Jesus just the same. What the writer of the book of Hebrews is not saying is disregard the old now that the new has come. But he is saying the new is superior to the old. And he's arguing here from the lesser to the greater. We know the truth. We've seen it play out. Every struggle you have Every consequence for every decision you have made and will make is covered in the Old Testament. You want dysfunctional families? Check out the Old Testament. You want struggle and pain and suffering? You want sin and its consequences? You want obedience and its consequences? You want to know what relation with God looks like? Look in the Old Testament. It's all covered there. As the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Just because we have modern technology does not mean that suddenly we've entered this era that we're radically different from all humans who have ever lived before us. The struggles are the same. The pain is the same. The decisions are the same. We know where this decision will lead. We know what will happen if we walk this way. And how often do we think, well, not me. That happens to other people, but not me. I'm the exception to the rule we always think. There's no excuse. Disobedience will be judged. Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Under the old covenant of God's love and, and grace, yes, there was judgment. And we've walked through that in the book of Leviticus. If you fail to do these things, you'll be cut off from your people. That, that phrase appears repeatedly through the book of Leviticus. There is justice that is done to those who disobey God's law. Notice that word disobedience that, that has a root that is an unwillingness to listen. It again is as a result of distraction. If you want to have a good laugh, 
go online and see videos of individuals on their phones and the bad things that happen to them because their face is in their screen. People walk into open bodies of water. People walk into light poles. People walk into traffic. All kinds of things happen because we're distracted. There is judgment that comes. There are consequences for being unwilling to listen to the truth. So the writer of the book of Hebrews says, if even the old message was reliable, was proven to be true, and it had judgment attached to it, notice that not, not only disobedience was judged, but disobedience will be judged. How shall we escape, he says. We now have the fullness of revelation. We have Jesus Christ himself that has come. We have who God is in human form. We have no excuse for not knowing the truth because the truth is a person, Jesus Christ the righteous. And especially those of us that know him, come into relationship with him by the Spirit. There is no excuse for giving in to distractions. Notice that key word. How shall we escape if we neglect? The author of Hebrews did not say, how shall we escape if we reject? He said, how shall we escape if we neglect? We understand that if we reject salvation in Jesus Christ, if we do not repent of our sins and trust in him and him alone for salvation, we will receive just retribution for our sins. There is judgment coming, Hebrews 9.27 and other passages. But that is not the prime thrust of the author of the book of Hebrews. He's writing to individuals who are believers. He says, what possible hope do we have of escape from judgment if we neglect, treat as inferior, treat as unimportant this salvation through Jesus Christ? Yeah, but God, you don't understand. I just needed to get to that next level of the video game. But God, you understand. My car was really, like, junky. I just needed a better one. But God, you don't understand. I need that vacation every single year in that tropical destination. But God, you don't understand. But God, you don't understand. But God, you don't understand. Now, is a new car uh, uh, sinful? No. Is playing a video game sinful? No. Is going on vacation sinful? No. But treating those things as superior to God and treating God as inferior to those things absolutely is. God has given us all things needed for life and godliness in Jesus Christ. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, there's distractions coming and distractions present in your life right now. And some of them are big. Like you could lose your occupation. You couldn't even lose your life. I understand the distractions are big. But don't neglect this salvation. Don't neglect Jesus Christ because he is superior. He is worth it. He is worth all that we are, all that we have, and all that we ever will be. He's worth it all. Do not treat Christ as inferior to anything in life. Notice in the last place, with greater neglect, there is greater judgment. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
this salvation is unbelievable. It's, it, it is why we sing amazing grace, the wondrous cross. We use these superlatives and they roll off our, off our tongues. But they're true because this is true. How is it that we as sinners, selfish and rebellious, only primarily concerned about ourselves, how is it that we who are rebels against God, who think that we know better, and we can live better, and we can do better. We don't need him. How is it that these individuals who reject God, rebel against him, and are self-absorbed, how is it that we are objects of God's love? How is it that God himself would love us so much that he would send his son to become one of us, and not just for a short period of time, but for the rest of time, to live righteously, die sacrificially, rise triumphantly, and ascend gloriously for us. How is it that we are recipients of God's mercy and grace? How is it that we don't get what we deserve, but we do get way more than we deserve? How is it that we can just revel in and, and celebrate all that God has done for us? This is a great salvation. And yet how often in our daily lives do we treat it as, meh, it's all right. I'll get to it. You know, I'm thankful for it. I'll show up on Sunday when I can, and yeah, you know, I'll do the thing, but really, it's not that important, is it? It's everything, or should be, to those of us who are recipients of it. Man, this is better news than anything that's out there. It's better than the, the, than the last movie that we watched, or the last product that we used, or the last thing that we purchased. We talk about all kinds of stuff to people, but how often do we talk about Jesus? He's everything or he should be. This is a great salvation. One of the reasons we struggle with the book of Leviticus is we cast in our mind's eye what would have been like to live in that time period. Oh, I sinned again. All right, grab a goat. Now, I hope we showed that there was also times of celebration and festival and feasting. But yeah, there was a lot of sacrifice and a lot of looking over your shoulder and am I okay and what's going on. There was a lot of those things. We're free and forgiven and loved in Jesus Christ. How amazing is this salvation? And yet we're like, meh. There are those in our world that'll quite literally today could be killed for doing what we're currently doing. How do you think they see Jesus? How do you think they interact with the anchor of their souls? Versus how we, who have it by comparison, much easier interact with the thrice holy God. And how did that happen? I think that happened because of distraction. There's other things that vie for our attention, and we have drifted. Lastly, then, this morning, distraction is inexcusable. There are four reasons why the preacher of Hebrews gives us the inexcusability of being distracted away from the all-sufficient and all-supreme Savior, Jesus Christ. In the first place, Jesus spoke. It was declared at first by the Lord. God himself came down to earth and took on human form and spoke to us. So if angels speak, we should probably pay attention. 
But if God speaks, definitely should sit up and pay attention. The Son of God himself came down and spoke. We have this gospel, this good news. Not just on the authority of other created beings, we have this good news on the authority of the Son of God himself. And this is perhaps a particular struggle for those that are Jewish. This is the stumbling block. Is Jesus the Messiah? That's the question. If he is, then all of this, the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us, is true. But if he's not, this is the struggle. And yet Jesus himself has spoken. The disciples of Jesus spoke. It was attested to us by those who heard. We do not anchor our eternal souls on a rumor. This isn't something that somebody or a small group of people made up in the first centuries and said, hey, you know what would be cool? We should make up a new religion. This has eyewitness accounts. Much more even so than even the disciples, although that's enough. 1 Corinthians 15. The disciples numerous times saw the resurrected Lord. Peter and John went to the tomb and saw it empty, as did Mary and the other women. They were eyewitnesses to this, and the writer book of Corinthians, Paul tells us that 500 people at once saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. What we believe to be true is not just sort of flimsy. That's why deconstruction to me is so lazy. Individuals that are deconstructing their faith. There's all kinds of TikToks, all kinds of things out there. Yeah, Christianity is not true for these reasons. It's just lazy. People for literally millennia have believed this and proven it to be true, and someone who's like in their 20s suddenly decides that they're brilliant, they're a genius, and they know way better than all of these scholars and people that they couldn't even hold a candle to, and somehow they found the one thing that just sort of reduces Christianity to rubble, and, the, and you see the clickbait on these videos. Christianity destroyed. It's lazy. It's, it's, it's less than useless because it's not true. It's just parroting the same things that individuals have brought up over and over again that have been shown to be false every generation, and each generation kind of just sighs and says, here we go again. We've already established these things. We've already seen these things to be true. They've been true when they happened, and they've been true ever since. They are historically verified. This is true. Jesus spoke. His followers spoke. The Father spoke, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. As if we weren't dense enough, God said, here's some verification that what I say is true. What did Jesus say to the one that they put through the, the, the roof down? Your sins are forgiven. And there's a buzz through the crowd. Whoa, 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 what? You're forgiven sins now. What's this? And what does Jesus say? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Now, neither are easy to do, but one is easier to say because I can say to you your sins are forgiven and how would you know? So what does Jesus say? So that you'll believe the greater, let me do the lesser, and he causes this individual who cannot walk, to walk. And how many miracles did Jesus do? How many miracles did the apostles do? Confirming signs. And yet, what does this evil and adulterous generation continually do? What do they keep, keep coming to Jesus? Show us a sign. 
by which they mean another one. Yeah, yeah, you walked on water. That was impressive. Turn water into wine. Yeah, 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 I get that. But show us another sign. We just, we're not quite there yet. I don't know that Jesus ever got exasperated, but as you read the Gospels, as we have been in our new Bible reading plan, it comes out sometimes. How long have I been with you? How many signs have I done for you? Verified by God himself and the Father. And notice the Holy Spirit speaks. By gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. We should have the change in our lives as another confirmation that this is true. We know who we used to be, and since Jesus met us, we know who we now are and who we are becoming. The change that takes place when a life is transformed by the gospel is yet another proof, another verification that it is true. And so the author of the book of Hebrews takes some time and steps back and says, be careful. There are many distractions, big and small, and all of them have one purpose in mind, get you away from Jesus, get your attention off of him, treat him as inferior, even slightly and even for a short period of time. So be careful. Pay much closer attention to the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has said, what he has done. Because distraction leads to drift, and drift leads to destruction. The story goes that in the summer of 1961, the Green Bay Packers reconvene after a late game loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. They're in training camp and they're primed and ready to go. They're all professional athletes and they came within minutes of hoisting the, the top prize in American football. And their hope is that their coach will come in and give them a few trick plays, a few different things they can try, just that little bit of secret sauce to get them over the edge. And Vince Lombardi comes into the very first practice after the defeat. And as the story goes, he holds up a football and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. Now he's speaking to professional athletes that came minutes away from winning the whole thing. Yeah, Vince, we know. That's kind of why we're here. But isn't that the point? He starts them in the playbook at page one. Story goes, one of the players says, hey, coach, slow down. You're going too fast for us. And yet Vince Lombardi never lost another playoff game. He never lost in the playoffs. Five out of seven seasons were winning seasons. And they won it all. And his name is now on the trophy that in just a few short Sundays somebody will be vying for in the NFL. The basics, the fundamentals, the foundation. Why is it that as believers we're always looking for something new, different, exciting? The writer of the book of Hebrews says, no. Pay close attention to Jesus. There's no other message. I'm not going to get up here and, and preach something wild and wonderful and, and, and different and radical than what's here. The message is Jesus. Every Sunday, that's the message. I'll, I'll let you know. But we need that message every single Sunday because we get distracted and we drift. We need those reminders 
Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is better than my Netflix account. Oh, yeah, Jesus is better than that thing that I've been saving up for. Oh, yeah, Jesus is better than my dream of what retirement's going to look like. Oh, yeah, Jesus is better than hating my enemy. Oh, yeah, so in Jesus, I can love my enemy. Oh, yeah, Jesus is better than that grudge that I'm holding. It feels really good, but he's better than that, so I can forgive. Oh, yeah, Jesus is better than hate. Jesus is better than selfishness. Jesus is better than greed. Oh, yeah, Jesus is better than lust. Jesus is better than jealousy. Yes, I need that reminder. Because we drift. Anchor our souls to the truth. He alone is worthy. Our response in this morning is, what distraction is worth more than Jesus? It's a question we need to ask ourselves every day. What are we pursuing? And then ask ourselves, is that thing we're pursuing, is it better than Jesus? And the answer is no. Give me any answer to that question. And I can tell you emphatically, nothing is better than Jesus. He alone is worthy of everything we have, everything we are, and everything we'll ever have. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. You are so patient and kind with us. We are so easily distracted, our attention so quickly averted. But as the author of the book of Hebrews is going to say in chapter 12, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God, we pray that you would keep us from distractions, but we know that distractions are going to come. So help us in those times where we are distracted to quickly return our gaze to you, our focus on you. That we would not begin to believe in even small and subtle ways that any distraction no matter how promising, no matter how tempting, no matter how alluring, could ever be better than Jesus Christ. Father, nothing is better than you. To have a relationship with you is the best thing about this life and the life to come, to be in your presence, to sing your praises, to be with you. Oh, Father, help us. We are an easily distracted people. Help us to stick with the fundamentals. Grace Baptist Church, this is the gospel. It's not new, but it's definitely exciting. (laughs) Help us to believe that and to anchor our souls to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.